I had the privilege to go up in the mountains, and every time I get a chance like that, I always sit before the Lord and say, Lord, work on my heart. Work with me. And that's one of the main things that draws me to the wilderness, is not just so I could gear up and do all that kind of stuff, but it's just going out and saying, Lord, turn off the comfort of noise. Silence the things around me. Because we are such a people that are so prone to clutter ourselves with busyness, it's good to step away and hear the Lord. And as we've been looking at some of these words and looking at the way of love in 1 Corinthians, truly, listen to this, this sermon series should be the death of us all. Because we are so prone to pride, impatient, cruel, envious, boastful, rude, self-seeking, and the list goes on. What we need daily is time to get with the Lord and say, Lord, we need a personal revolution. So what I want to do is I just want to read two parts of some songs here. One's called Monkeys at the Zoo, and the other is A Personal Revolution. And when I'm done reading these, then the kids can be dismissed for Sunday school. But listen to these words. These are by Charlie Peacock. And this is the kind of attitude I get every time I have a chance to just be alone with the Word and with my Lord. Will it be different now or the same? Will have I learned anything? Or was it just a way to spend a day or two set aside thinking thoughts about you? Have I changed at all? And if you were to dive in deep into my soul, would you find Jesus there or a gaping hole? Things don't change because I pretend they're fine. Jesus, if you have come to give life abundantly, then how do you respond to all the pretense that you see? Do I break your heart by all the faking that I do? There's so many places I haven't let you into. But that won't be enough for me. Not this year, not time anything time soon. I've got to clean house. I've got to make my bed. I've got to clear my head. It's getting kind of stuffy in here. Smells sort of funky too, like monkeys at the zoo. I've been whoring after things because I want to feel safe inside. That's a big, fat lie. No amount of green, gold, or silver, the perfect body, another hot toddy, work for the Lord, fame, power, power, sex, seat at the table at the country club. Here's the rub. Nothing will ever take the place of the peace of God. So I'm tired of all these easy solutions. I can't stand it. They're nothing but denial. If we continue to pretend the pain will never end. To pretend that we're fine is a trick of the mind. Though I'm quick to admit the problem is me. I think I need a personal revolution. Spirit, come flush the lies out. And after we have looked this far into love, will we be different now? Or will we be the same? We're looking at the most beautiful aspect 
God's great love and how we receive that and how we are to love. But if we fake it and put up the pretense and live the lie, it's a joke. Pack it up and go home. So we desperately need a personal revolution. Let me pray. Jesus, you are the self-giving one, the self-sacrificing one who shows us love. And we ask, Lord, that you come and awaken us from this slumber, that we would have heart surgery today. Lord, we are so prone to go our own way, our own thoughts, get fuddy-duddy, get grumpy, and yet you have come to give us life abundantly. And Lord, I pray that you would come and awaken our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Kids, you can be dismissed. As we look in the Word, I ask you to turn again to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we are going through this list, the list of what love is and what love is not. And today, instead of pounding through a couple more words, I want to take some time and look at the greatness of God's love in this all. Because as we read this list, truly this is a description of God himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting with verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. That's who God is. He is great and He is loving. This past week, I was able to go on one of the greatest hunting trips of my life. As a little boy hunting in the Midwest, you get kind of just used to that kind of hunting. And in my mind, I always thought it would be great to go out west, kind of like the cowboys did, in the big rolly mountains with the big trees and be out hunting. And I did. And it was one of the greatest trips. Yet as I was hunting, I made a mistake. I was out hunting, and it's something that I shouldn't have done, and I did something, and don't worry, everyone was safe, but I made a mistake, and my first thought was, oh, how stupid of me. You fool. And then listen to this. In my heart, I was quick to say, oh, I made a mistake. Okay, I don't deserve even to get a deer. Just to let you know, no one brought venison home. I brought a box of apples home. Stopped by Lake Chelan, and it was fun. And maybe the Lord said, you guess you're going to be a vegetarian this time. <laughs> Out of all the hunters we hunted with, no one brought a deer back. It was different. 
But in my heart, I was like, oh, I don't deserve, because I made a, just a foolish mistake, and oh, I don't deserve this. And then I started really thinking. I thought, wow, how quick my heart was to say, I don't deserve. And then I was thinking, well, do I deserve? Who deserves to get a deer? And I thought of the Lord and my walk with him. Through our actions, listen to this, through our actions and behaviors, we certainly do not qualify for any amount of grace or mercy in God's eyes. Even if your life is all perfect, you've got all your ducks in a row, you do everything perfect. Listen to this. In God's eyes, we do not qualify for mercy or grace. What do we deserve? Look at this passage. Turn a couple pages over to Ephesians chapter 2. This passage is profound. In fact, this section here is one of the greatest chapters that help awaken the church. Because for many years, the church are going down this path thinking, oh, we just have to do good things to appease the Lord. Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Here it is. Like the rest, we were by nature's objects of wrath. We were deserving wrath, is another translation. Like the rest, we by nature deserve wrath. We get this idea that we think we deserve much, much more than that. Don't we sometimes? We walk around thinking, well, I've got everything right, I've polished everything, I've lived a life so nice, and I deserve more than just bad things. But we, by nature, deserve wrath. But it doesn't stop there. We, by nature, deserve wrath. Look at verse 4. But because of his great love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions and sin. If you recall when we looked in Exodus about justice, mercy, and grace, justice you get what you deserve. But listen, remember, God is more than just. He is what? He is mercy and grace. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. And grace, you get what you don't deserve. 
please always remember this. Always remember this. Nothing you do makes you good enough only by what Christ did for us on the cross. Grace is because of his love we receive grace through faith. And here it is. This is what was so profound to me. Verse 3, we, what do we deserve? We deserve justice. We deserve punishment. Because we've all sinned. We all fall short of his glory. But here, look at the beauty of this concept here. We deserve wrath. But look at verse 4. Why do we deserve grace? Because now that we're Christians, oh, I'll do good things and I'll do all these things and then I'll get grace even more. No. No matter how much sin you have in the past or continue in, grace supersedes it. But why do we receive that grace? Because of how pretty we can be? No. Look at verse 4. This is it. We were by nature objects of wrath or deserve God's wrath, his justice. Verse 4. But because of his great love, we get grace. Why do we get grace? It's because of his love. Here it is. God's people receive his grace and mercy only because they are loved by him and they belong to him. You receive God's grace not because of what you can do. It's because you are loved by him and you belong to him. We need to remember that the wages of our lives both before and after we come to Christ leads us to death. Sin always leads to death. Even after I became God's child, so often I overlook that and I don't turn to God's grace. And it's His love that that's how we receive His grace. Take a look at this slide I have up here. In the center of this all is this passage, okay? We have to look at God's great love for us. We often are on one side. Again, I make mistakes. I sin. I'm tainted. I'm lost. I fall short of his glory. I deserve the wages of death because of what I've done. But because of his great love, I don't stay there. Instead of making mistakes because of his great love, in my mistakes, I'm forgiven. Being forgiven is a powerful thing. And forgiving others is also another powerful thing, which we'll get into later as we get into this list of love in the next couple weeks. We make mistakes, but because of the cross, you are forgiven. We sin. But because of his great love, there's grace. We are sanctified. No longer does he see us as sinners. It's Christ's righteousness. The cross is on us. And he sees us as sanctified. 
we are tainted. We are so prone. Our hearts are so prone to go wayward. Yet he comes and washes us with his blood. We are lost, but he comes and redeems us because of the cross. We fall short of his glory. And don't think, well, now that I'm a Christian, I don't fall short of his glory. We still fail. It's only by the cross that he covers us. We receive his righteousness. Now that we become his children, it's not our righteousness that maintains it. It's still his righteousness, right? We deserve death, but because of the cross, we are saved. How great is the Father's love for us. And it's out of His love that we receive His grace. That's why Ephesians 2 verse 4 is something that lately I've just realized this is so theologically opening to me. I just thought, okay, I'm a Christian and I just carry on. But it's His love that is the core of it all. And that's how we receive His grace. Listen to this one. Psalm 103, if you have a moment, turn there. Again, one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 103. Let me just read this whole section here. It's that good. Psalm 103. Some of you have hard days. Some of you have days where you look at this list of, I make mistakes, I sin, I'm tainted. God, why? Think of the beauty of God's love. Think of the cross. Psalm 103, starting with verse 1. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise His holy name. Again, praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your sins? and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. In verse 10, here it is. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Praise God. Because we deserve what? Wrath. But he doesn't pay us according to that. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has removed our transgressions from us. As the Father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. We just got to stop and realize this. This is all about his love. 
Why does he make promises to his children? Because of his love. Why does he have grace for us? Because of his love. Why do we have breath today? It's because of his great love. Why? His love. I mean, look, let's even look at the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. John 3.16. Turn there, because we're going to read John 3.16 through 19. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, and that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Look at verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but, verse 19, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. God loves, God loves so much he gives us his son, but men are lovers of what? Darkness. Our hearts are so prone to love darkness. But God comes in this. See, in this verse, John 3, 16, this love is God's general love that he has for humanity. He loves this world so much that he gave us his son. We all know this verse. But the love I'm talking about today is his more specific love than his general love. And here's where my breath stops. My heart pauses. Where I get heart surgery and the Lord comes and heals my heart. It is amazing where there's a change of words. We were once labeled as enemies of the cross. But now we're not through his love. For instance... There's a name change with intimacy. When I was in graduate school, I met a lot of professors. We all called them doctors. Dr. So-and-so, Dr. So-and-so. Except for one professor I had, I did not call Dr. So-and-so. I just called him Paul, Paul Feinberg. He loved the Bears. I loved the Packers. And we'd get together whenever they would play together, and we'd laugh at each other and just, you know, and Paul would pat me on the back, and he had this, you know, short look. All right, Cody, they're going to, you know, we just, we'd have fun. I had a close relationship with him. And then I met Dr. Grant Osborne. I called him Dr. Osborne at first. But then I met his daughter. Oh, I still then called him Dr. Osborne. Because that's just how you do it in school. And just people got to be proper, polite. But quickly he said, just call me Grant. The closer I got to him, the more I could be intimate with him. And I called him Grant. And then, as I've said before, the day, as nervous as I was, I asked for Amber's hand over pizza. We're eating pizza, eating peanuts, throwing them on the floor, and I was nervous, and I asked for her hand. And his comment was this, 
only if, oh great, here I go, I'm in trouble, only if you call me dad and Nancy mom. The closer you get in a relationship, the more intimate you become. From doctor to dad, now it's grandpa. The more intimate you come with someone. And listen, this is what is profound about God's great love for his children. The name changes that God has for me. I was once labeled an enemy of the cross. Let's begin by looking at Hosea. Turn to Hosea chapter 2. Hosea chapter 2. And this last part is also quoted in Romans chapter 9. You see, God loves the world, absolutely. But His own, He loves in such a greater, deeper way. Listen to this. Those who are wayward, those who, in this list, you feel like, I make mistakes, I struggle, I feel so tainted, I feel so lost sometimes. Look at the beauty of the cross. Listen to the Lord's words towards his children. Hosea chapter 2. Therefore, oh sorry, verse 14. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert. And this is the Lord speaking to his children. I will speak tenderly to her. There I will give back, give her back the, her vineyards. And I will make the Valley of Acre, which is trouble in Hebrew, a door of hope. There she will sing as she did in the days of her youth. As in the days she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and you will no longer call me my master. There's intimacy now happening. I'll remove all the names of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the fields and the birds of the air and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and the battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. I will betroth you with me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and in justice, in love and in compassion. I will betroth you with faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. Verse 21, in that day I will respond, declares the Lord. I'll respond to the skies and they will respond to the earth and the earth will respond to the grain and new wine and oil and they'll all respond to Giselle. I will plant her for myself in the land and here it comes. I will show my love to the one I called once, not my loved one, 
I will say to those I called not my people, you are now my people. They will say, and you are my God. Or as Romans chapter 9 says this, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And here comes this word. And those who were not beloved, I will call beloved. Here in Hosea, and Paul says this in 9, Romans, that these people who were once just so gone, wasted away, because of my great love, now they are beloved. What do I deserve? Nothing. I deserve death. But because of his love, I get to be called beloved? That's crazy. There are many recipients of the word beloved in Scripture. I went through every Bible passage that had the word beloved. Some, it's a brotherly title. Paul or others, writers say, Dear beloved, flee from idols. Okay. Another one, it's between lovers. In fact, I had that when I got married. This is the little pillowcase we had that carried the rings. You tie them on here, and apparently we couldn't get it, so it's cut. So I don't know what happened. I forget what happened, but you can see it's cut here. We couldn't get the rings off or something happened. But in here, it says, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. It's also in Hebrew here. It comes from Song of Solomon, chapter 6. We have this. It's a word you use with intimacy. Lovers. I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. We are now one. It's a name given to Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God says, do you remember that? But, and this is, it's also given by God to his children. This is a title that we have. We are the beloved ones of God. Those, yes, God loves the world, but I tell you what, he loves you a lot differently in that general sense of John 3.16. He doesn't call everyone beloved. He calls his own beloved. Well, I love all of you the same, but I don't snuggle next to you and say, hey, beloved, like I do my wife. I don't have a pill like this for each of you. That's for my wife. And God, in his great love, in spite of all these things, gives us life and calls you beloved. 1 Thessalonians, turn there. 1 Thessalonians. Sorry, it's 2 Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter two. Verse thirteen. But we 
ought always to thank God for you. Brothers, loved by the Lord, beloved of God, because from the beginning God chose you. You are the beloved of God. And from the beginning, God chose you. You as the first fruits to be saved through the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. You are the beloved of God. Or Colossians chapter 3, 12, which lines up with what we've been talking about, about love here. Listen to this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and Beloved, dearly loved by God, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We've talked about this verse in this list of love. Why do we do these things? Because we are the beloved of God. In a sense, all day you should be walking around with this as a necklace from God. Can you imagine if I walked around all day in the stores with a pillow hanging from my neck? People would be like, is that like a drool spot or something? What's this for? Does he have a toothache to rest on? But this this would be to let people know, I am beloved by God. And that's the beauty of all of this. Those who belong to Jesus are loved by God in a special way. And you are called the beloved of God. Imagine if you saw yourself each day like that. Imagine if you went to work and your boss, your co-workers, and all the filth that's around you tries to suck you and drag you into that mindset and you hear all that junk and you walked around with this pillow hanging from your neck. Imagine your attitude every time you look in the mirror Every time you stand on a scale, every time you try to figure out what's going on with your body, sick or healthy, imagine if you knew that you were the beloved of God. Imagine the attitude. Imagine the stride you would take. It would change your world. We are the beloved of God. He has a special covenant love for each one of his children, just as I do with my wife. No wonder I love Isaiah 43. No wonder when I read Isaiah 43, I am lost in amazement by God's great love for his people. He will stop at nothing to protect his own, so far as giving up his own son. We are the beloved. Listen to John. 1 John chapter 4. We've read this many times. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent us his son to be a propitiation, to be a sacrifice of atonement. He took my place for us sins. Beloved, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You are a beloved. And this cuts right through the world's concept of love. 
because we get this attitude, well, I deserve. I deserve to be loved because I'm a faithful man. I deserve when in reality, we deserve wrath. But because of God's great love for us, we get grace. But what are we to do with this? That's really what comes down to it. What do we do with this? I'm beloved, I'm loved, I receive his grace, but what are we to do with this? Listen to the first words of our list that we're talking about in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is what? Kind. Listen to these two passages. Write these down first. If you don't get a chance to look it up, just write them down. The first one is 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Okay? Listen to the word patient and how it's connected with the Lord, and listen to what the response should be. Okay? Listen to this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some think slowness to be. Instead, he is patient. Okay? He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is patient with you. Why? So we would repent. God's patience leads us to what? Repentance. Or Romans 2.4, I said, please underline that. Circle this verse. This should be an anthem of your life. Or do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's Kindness leads us to, what's the word? Repentance. This is what's so profound about this list in God. He is patient. He is kind. These two verses said these things, but that's to lead us to what? Repentance. Repent from the negative things. We've been looking at the negative aspects of love, or even these things. Repent from these things. Turn from your wicked ways. We are forgiven when we turn to God's love seen in the cross. Next week, many churches around the world are celebrating what they call Reformation Sunday. Have you ever celebrated Reformation Sunday or even know what the Reformation is? No. Back in 1522, a man named Martin Luther was tired of the way things were going. And he wrote down, how many? Does anybody know how many he wrote down? 95 theses. He wrote down 95 things to say we need to reform, change, not cut away, but we need to change our hearts. Look at the word says. He was deep in Ephesians chapter 2. He nailed these on the door on October 31st. And that's why whatever Sunday lands near that, it's called the Reformation Sunday. Listen to the first of the 95. Out of all these, does anybody, has anybody ever read the 95 these before, read through them, saw what they are? Listen to the first one. Number one. When our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, said, repent, he willed 
the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Don't just repent once and live your life in sin. No, because of God's love, because of God's grace, we won't keep on sinning. We realize, no, I repent from that. And I lean on his great grace. Our life daily should be a life of repentance. I said that one, I, I read this once to one of my friends. And he said, he was not happy. He was like, oh, you Christians. You're so morbid. You just think life should be a life of, oh, repentance. Oh, woe is me. Get the whips out and whip your back. Beating yourself up, I remember him saying, Oh, why would that be the first one? Life is all. No. It's just, the, oh, if you want to follow religion, that's what would it be. You follow a religious, get your ducks in order lifestyle, that's exactly how it would be. But it is not that way. We don't repent because of the gloom and morbid aspect of it. We repent because he is patient with us wanting everyone to come to repentance. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not a dark, morbid thing. It's his love that makes me repent. And his patience and his kindness. The primary incentive of repentance is patience, kindness, and God's great love. And if we finally catch a glimpse of the beauty of the cross his words beloved our lives would be easily I repent I'm so sorry Lord forgive me so I ask and let me end with this let our hearts be broken Because at times, God means so little to us. Because we get the chip on our shoulder thinking, I deserve something. I deserve death. And if we see the beauty of the cross, our hearts would grieve, lament, or as it says, rent your heart. Because we love things in this life more than we love Jesus. And now we should cast our hearts, turn to his great mercy because of his love. He offers life to us. And we see that in the cross. That's why communion to me is truly one of the most sacred and celebratory things this side of heaven. It's sacred because we take a moment and look at our hearts and say, God, we do this remembering the beauty of the cross. We remember that we fall into this category still today. But because of his great for us, God, who is so rich in mercy, gave us his son. And we have life. So communion is not something, that, well, we just do communion. We do it to say, without the cross, I deserve the wrath of God. But God, who is so rich in mercy, and because of his love, I have salvation. When we take communion, we celebrate 
also. We remember, we think of it like, not me, Lord. You took it for me. You took my place. But we celebrate. We don't take communion with, woe's me, I repent, here I go. Part of me wants to just crank up the tunes and just celebrate in a sacred, reverent way and say, we have life, we celebrate. I'm alive because I don't deserve it. No matter what I could do, I would never deserve it. Even after I've come to you, Lord. I repent and I turn and I have life now because of you. Your body broken for me. Your blood shed so I could be clean. Thank you, Lord. So this communion time, in your heart, think of the things you deserve. Say, Lord, truly, there are some things maybe, earthly speaking, I may deserve. I put my time into work. I deserve a check. I deserve payment. But that mindset can slowly slip into our relationship with God. We deserve nothing. Even today, because of his love for his children, he calls beloved. And if you have turned to Christ, and if you said, Lord, only you, not me, only you is salvation, then guess what? You are beloved. You are the beloved. Romans 8 says this. Who can separate us from what? The love of Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Church, Christians, you are beloved. You receive mercy and grace because of the cross. You could be on one side because of his great love. He's so rich in it. His mercy, your beloved. Let's pray.